You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. A couple of months ago, I went out with my wife and my kids to a pizza place. And so my wife thought that a, one large pizza would be enough. In my mind, I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. But let's, let, let's do that, you know, whatever. So we get this pizza, and uh, I get, eat my first slice. My wife eats her first slice. The kids eat their first slice. There's eight slices, okay? So I'm thinking, oh, my kids eat their slice. Usually that's enough for them. Well, today, or that day, they wanted two. And they each ate two, and I ate two, and my wife ate two. And I'm thinking, after I ate my two, before they had got to their second one, I'm thinking, you guys don't really want that, do you? It's sitting there. You're not, you're not going to eat two. I'm a full-grown man. You're seven and five and little girls. You don't need two slices. And they're like... We, we're really hungry. Let's have the other. I'm like, all right, go ahead and eat that other one. In my heart, I'm thinking, how dare you? How dare you eat that other slice? Like, but like, so we leave, and my wife's like, yeah, see, that wasn't bad. We all have, I'm like, are you kidding me? I am starving right now. Not really starving. Like, America starving. Like, I'm, I'm starving. I'm a grown man, and I could have had more. By rights, as the father of this house, I should have three to four. You each get one. Like, that's the, that's the way it works. And, and I didn't do that, right? There was this part of me that's like, I know I don't need more, and my kids are growing. They desire more. I'm going to give them more, right? How many, of you guys, how many parents have lived through a similar scenario? Like, you didn't want anything before I ordered my sandwich. Now I'm eating my sandwich, and you ate half of it. What just happened? Like, you weren't hungry five minutes ago. Like, but as parents, we learn to, like, make these sacrifices for our kids, right? Sacrifice. I say that kind of loosely. And that's a silly example, but in reality, we do that with a lot bigger things. We make real sacrifices for the people that we love. When our rights say that I can do this, the love in us says, I won't do that. I'll do this instead, right? So let's read 1 Corinthians, and we'll see a similar thing playing out here in the church of Corinth. We've talked recently about Paul is trying to teach them, like, look, you could eat the food offered to idols. You could do these things, but it might not be the best solution for the people because you have to know the background that they've been through. Remember last week we talked about alcohol and how, for my family, alcohol was much bigger than just drinking alcoholic beverages. It represented a way of life. It represented abuse. It represented something much, much more. The same way food offered to idols was paganism. It was sex, child, child sexual slaves in the temples. It was a lot more than just food. It was a lot more there. So could you eat the food? Could you drink the alcohol? Yes, but it might not be good for the situation. Paul is teaching people to think through the lens of the gospel, not through themselves. And we're continuing that same kind of thought a little bit this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to read verses 1 through 14 here together real quick. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my desire that those would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brother of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no rights to refrain from working for a living, who serves as a, who, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? 
For it is written the law, in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake. Because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endured every, anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way that the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Okay, let me explain what's happening here. I know there was a lot of verses, and we're going to read through some more this morning. But there's one theme that we have to get into our hearts this morning. Paul's basically saying to them, hey, look, you're asking me about questions about sex and what we're allowed to do. And you ask me questions about food offered to idols. And sometimes we have these rights. We can do certain things, but sometimes it's not good for us to do those things. And he's like, let's look at me for a second. Who am I? What rights do I have as Paul the Apostle? Am I not your Apostle? Am I not the one who's seen the Lord Jesus Christ? And other people might not say that I'm the Apostle and their teacher and, their, and the one that leads them in the faith. But at least you, Church of Corinth, you cannot say that it's not me. I'm the one that led you to faith. You are my workmanship. You're the seal of my Apostleship. You, you recognize who I am and the position that I have. And in my position, do I not, not have certain rights? And let me explain what these rights are. Paul says, I have, don't, I, don't I get the, I, the right to eat and drink what I want? Don't I get the right because of who I am and because of our faith? Don't I also have the same right that you have to eat the food offered to idols, to eat and drink the things that I desire? And it's a rhetorical question. We can all kind of nod our head. Yes, he does have that right. And he says, don't I also have the right to take a wife? If I wanted to take a wife, can I take a wife? All these other apostles and Peter and, and, and the brother of Jesus, all these people have taken a wife and still are apostles. Don't I also get that same, same right? Because remember earlier, some people were saying it's, it's, more pu- it's more pure spiritually to be single and celibate. And some are saying it's not pure spiritually. So there's this conversation about having a wife and sex and all that. Paul says, I have the right to have a wife. I have the right to do that. All these other apostles have a wife. And it's fine spiritually for them. It will also be fine spiritually for me. Then he goes to the next thing. And this whole thing could get confusing about oxen and muzzles and the law. What are we talking about? All of a sudden there's cattle and there's grain. And one minute we're talking about eating and drinking and rights. The next minute we're talking about animals. I don't get it. The law said that you cannot muzzle an ox because the, the one who's doing the work gets the right to partake in the fruit of the work. It's, not a, it's really removing the heart of greed of the owner. And Paul says if all these examples have the right to receive a reward from what they are doing, don't I also, as a minister giving you the gospel, deserve to get, if I've been sowing into you spiritually, don't I have the right to receive from you materially? That's a shocker to the American mindset for some reason. For some reason, we hate those kind of verses. 
He talks about this temple, and I want to I clarify something here. We've just talked about the pagan temple in Corinth, but we're not talking about that anymore. I believe that Paul is talking not about the pagan temple. He's giving the analogy of the temple in Jerusalem, where those in the temple would receive food from sacrifices, and those working with the altar would receive portions of the offering to pro- provide for themselves. Make sense? So he's saying, look, even in Jerusalem, even in God's temple, those working in there make a living by their sacrifice there. Anybody who does work deserves, by rights, the option to receive from what he is working, right? I think this is, if you went to work and you worked really hard and your boss said, sorry, you don't get any money this week, you'd be like, uh, what? I worked for my money. I have the right for my money. And Paul says, if I'm sowing into all these churches spiritually, if there's a biblical example of this, don't I have the right also to receive from you? Don't I have the right to make my living this way? Right? He even says in verse 14, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He says, "I, I can make you a case where I can get paid for this, is what he says. I can show you I have these rights, but I've chosen not to. Now, I know in our culture, we don't like, we don't like talking about this. And when I, had to, when I realized this is the passage I had to preach on, I'm like, this is weird for me. <laughs> As a pastor, I have to stand up here and say I have certain rights. That's bizarre, right? Nobody laughs. Everybody looks really uncomfortable right now. What is he going to say? What is he going to say? Let me tell you about a true conversation I had. Uh, we'll just call this guy Zach. All right, that's not his name. Um, so Zach and I meet, and he's disgruntled about a lot of things. And he was informed by a few people that I made a certain amount of money, and Jared made a certain amount of money, which was ridiculous. It wasn't even close to the truth. And the person who informed him had no understanding. Like, doesn't even know. Like, just basically made up a lie. Anyway, I'm like, I, I wish I made that money. That would be nice. But it's not true. So he sits with me, and he says, biblically, pastors like, and every Christian should be living poor. We should live like the poor, and we should live on the streets, and we should give all that we have to the poor. And I said, well, that's nice, but where do you find that in Scripture? He's like, Jesus had no place to lay his head. I'm like, yeah, Jesus traveled and ministered all over. That was his calling. And there were rich ladies who gave him money to do that. It wasn't like Jesus was, like, in, in rags and, like, please, alms for the poor. And just, like, every stone that he found, i got to turn this into bread today so I can eat. That's not what Jesus did. I'm like, so that, your, your logic there doesn't make sense. And Paul preaches against that, and I can give you a massive list of biblical super giants in the Scripture who had finances. Some didn't, but most of them did. God provided for those who were working for him. There are kings and queens, there are rich people, there are broke people serving the Lord. So to tell me it's more spiritually good to be in poverty doesn't make sense at all. Everything is the Lord's, and I should be able to reap from what is the Lord's because I'm his child, I'm his heir, I'm a co-heir in Christ. It doesn't mean that I don't learn to be content in all things and be broken at certain times, absolutely. But there is no biblical mandate that says poverty equals spirituality. It's not in there. And I'm not a prosperity gospel pastor. I'm not saying that if you love Jesus really hard, you'll get every dream that you've ever had and nice cars and big mansions. I don't believe that either. But I don't believe that we have to live in the poor house just because we're called to the gospel. It's, there's, we have rights. There are rights, absolutely. But Paul says, for you, I'm waiving these rights. Right now, for me, I'm waiving these rights. Let me explain that in a minute. But, um, before I do, though, um, 
let me talk a, bit, a little bit more about the American mindset, because I know this is real. I, I've, I've seen it. I've heard it. Americans do not like thinking of these rich pastors, right? We hate that idea. And so I've literally heard people tell me, yeah, I don't tithe to the church because, you know, I've seen Benny Hinn and what he wears and, and Kenneth Copeland in the house. What does that have to do with the local church at all? Just, just because somebody abuses something doesn't mean that every pastor would abuse that same right. Make sense? Just because there's, and I'm not calling those two guys bad apples or whatever. They have different spheres of influences that I don't have. I do believe that any person can have greed in their heart in a mansion the same way the guy down the street on the street corner can have greed in his heart. It has nothing to do with where you sit financially. It has everything to do with a heart position. It's not about e- e- income level. This thing, this gospel, has nothing to do with income level. It has everything to do with reaching your city and keeping your heart from greed. Jared asked me, this is probably a year ago, um, no, it was longer than that. It was about a year and a half ago. Half ago. My car that I, cur- I had at the time, I had for 12 years. Um, a youth pastor helped me get it, and then I got it. And I was drove it until it was dead. I literally drove it until my, gr- my mechanic said to me, don't bring this back anymore. It's done. I'm like, okay. So anyway, Jared asked me, this is beforehand, he's like, do you think it's okay for a pastor like you or myself and I, would you ever drive a BMW? And I'm like, no, of course not. And he's like, why? Why would you not? I'm like, well, one, I don't really want a BMW, so it doesn't really matter to me. He's like, I would love a BMW. I wouldn't go crazy. He's like, but I would love it. And he's like, I know there's this mindset in America that if you drive a BMW, then your ministry is somehow less, and you don't need any kind of support. Literally, I know missionaries who could probably afford, like, a nice new car. Not like a fancy one, but a good one. But they're like, if I drive that into a church, nobody in that church will give me a dime to go to Africa. Nobody will. That's a sad mentality to me, that we somehow think those who suffer for the gospel have to really suffer in every kind of way. To me, it's just, it's just a broken mentality. My car, my new car, thank God, is a Honda Civic. <laughs> I'm not rolling in the Rolls Royce, but it's a nice new Honda Civic. And even that, God got, God got me a massive discount on I will say this, that sometimes, most of the time, God provides for me and my family with massive discounts. Pete, who's, who's not here today, he wrote a blog about how our God is a good God who gives discounts, bonuses, freebies. He's a good God who loves to give good things to his children. I am thankful for that. And so when we come and look at ministry people or anybody called to the gospel and think, oh, they're not as broke as I want them to be, <laughs> that's something wrong in our own hearts. Anyway, I'll get off that for a second. So Paul says, though, at the end there in verse 14, or in verse 15, I want to I read this. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I did this of my own will, I have a reward. But if, I, if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights to the gospel. I want to stop there. Paul says, I could, by rights, take income from you as a church. 
I could by rights marry a wife. I could by rights eat and drink in the temple here locally if I wanted to. But I chose not to for specific reasons. So why, let, me, let, me, let me get to the details. Why is Paul not taking an income from this church, from Corinth? I would say there's two reasons. One is in that culture, remember we talked about the wisdom of Corinth and their sophists who would come to town and offer some kind of wisdom and then have their disciples fight over who's the smartest teacher? They would charge you to hear their wisdom. They would, and if you would listen to their wisdom for a fee, you could pay a little bit more and have more wisdom, special classes, secret classes if you wanted to. Paul is in this city, and he recognizes if I come in here and take my right to receive a little bit of money from that church for the work that I'm doing as an apostle of the gospel, they will confuse me with that kind of wisdom with a sophist. And that wisdom is empty and false, and I'm not them, and I want to protect their hearts. I want them to know that this gospel is a free gospel. It's free of charge. It's not some secret class that you've got to earn. It's a free, real gospel. This is a free message that Paul is trying to communicate to them. Secondly, I think that it's also, Paul's very different than the other apostles. Paul persecuted the church. Paul was killing Christians left and right, and the Lord himself shone up, shown in front of Paul, knocked him off the horse, blinded his eyes, and said, I'm charging you with my gospel. You have a responsibility to proclaim my gospel. I'm mandating you to do this. Paul is in debt to Christ. He's completely in debt. He's like, so if I come into this city, it's going to confuse them drastically, and I've realized what I've been saved from, so I want to boast in the fact that I am indebted to the cross, only to the cross. I'm not like one of those other disciples who get to claim these rights. I have no rights. I lost them all when Christ interrupted me on my road and blinded my eyes and gave me true vision for the gospel. I surrendered my rights. That's what I believe Paul is saying here. That's the reason he's waived his rights here. He's like, I could take income, but I won't. There are times in our life when there are certain mandates on you. There are clear calls on you. I want you to hear this. I don't know what it is, but there's, there's clear calls that God has given each one of you. Maybe you haven't heard some of them clearly yet. Maybe you have. But there are certain things God's put inside of you that you have to do for his kingdom to proclaim his glory regardless of recognition or reward or financial stability. You have to do that. Because there are moments in your life where you have to forsake your rights or what you think you're owed to do what you know you have to do. I, was, I knew if I was not in ministry for that year, it might have been less stress on my life, but I would not have been full of joy. I would not be living what God has put me to do. You will only be happy when you're actually doing the mandate that God has in your life. I don't know what that is. And I know a lot of the, most of us aren't called the full-time church ministry, but we're all called to the gospel. You are all called to make sacrifices for proclaiming him and for doing the thing, the dream that God's birthed in your heart. It could be a career change. It could be a relationship change. It could be, I don't know what, but there are moments where you have to take the risk and say, I could take this right, but I'm waiving it for the sake of the gospel to be advanced in this circle. Amen? Amen. First Corinthians, let's read a little further here. Verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. 
To the Jew, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. So, so far, how does this apply? How does this Paul and his rights apply to us today? How does this apply to the previous conversation about food offered to idols? How does this apply apply to non-pastors? This verse here we're talking about, this is about freedom. He's mentioning this word freedom a few times. I'm free from all. I've made myself a servant to all. Corinth prided themselves on freedom as a Roman colony from the privileges and responsibilities of other cities. They had a lot more rights than other cities. They were Roman. They had rights. And they prided themselves on these rights. They thought themselves to be a free place with certain privileges over other places. They also thought that they were very free when it came to spiritual thinking. They thought they were all free thinkers, very educated and free from traditions and free from the normal thought patterns. They prided themselves on this idea of freedom. And Paul says, yeah, I'm free, but I'm a slave to the gospel. True freedom here. True freedom is not doing anything you want to do, whether that's drinking, marrying, if it's getting money from whatever we talked about in the past. True freedom is not doing what you want to do because you want to do it. True freedom is the ability to do what's right in that moment. That's true freedom. When we recognize that, it does something inside of our hearts that removes the rights that we've been fighting for. He talks about slaves to all. And he says, the Jew, to the Jew I became like a Jew. And he's talking about the law and under the law and outside of the law. What does all this mean? But let me, let me clarify. What does Paul say when he became like a Jew? Paul literally, to win the Jews, he would go to synagogue. He would eat the same meals that were under the Jewish law. He would do things to fit in with them that were under that law, even though he knew he could do what he wanted because he's in the grace, in grace now. Everybody tracking with me? Okay. I felt like I lost you for a second. But let me say this. Paul was beaten. This is, this is crazy. Paul was beaten multiple times by synagogue leaders. We see that in Scripture. The only way to be beaten by synagogue leaders is if you sat under the teaching of a synagogue leader. By rights, if you sat under a leader in that church and you did things that were outside of that synagogue's liking, they could beat you. <laughs> They can literally beat you. So logically, the only way that Paul was able to be beaten by these leaders was the fact that he, sub- he came into the synagogue and sat under their teaching. He also proclaimed the gospel. He challenged them, and then he was beaten. Can you imagine that in today's culture? The church that you go to, the pastor gets to beat you? <laughs> like, by law, you sat in the pew. I didn't like what you did. Let's go outside. That's ridiculous. But that's what Paul says. He's like, I became a Jew to the Jews. I suffered beatings so that I could reach them in the, where they sat. 
I ate the things that they ate, and I chose not to eat the things they chose not to eat, so that I could reach them. And to the Gentiles, I did the same thing. I, I, even though outside of the Jewish law, I still submitted to God's law, but I did the things that I could do that please God, but knowing I have to reach the Gentiles. I have to reach the Jews, and I will forsake all of my rights for the sake of them. I'm a slave to the gospel. I'm a slave to what's better for his name to be advanced rather than my name to be advanced. Slave to all. All things to all. He is not saying that all of a sudden I've become a master communicator and know how to communicate everything and twist scripture around or or even that he flip-flops beliefs. One minute I'm Jewish, one minute I'm not. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that I've learned how to reach people where they're at and forget the things that I want to do so that I can help them, so that I can help them see the true gospel. Last passage here that I want to read. And this is one that we mess up a lot. So let's, let's get into this a little bit this morning. 1 Corinthians 9, continuing on, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating in the air, but I disciple my bo- or I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now this is a passage we butcher. <laughs> Let me explain. We like to run the race to win the prize as if everybody's like Rocky going up the steps. Like, we're doing our thing, whatever it is. Like, we just run the race to win the prize. And we apply that to like, I don't know, getting a better grade in our science class or, or you know, I, I don't know. Whatever you usually apply it to. You got it on your coffee mug and I'm, I'm winning to win the prize. A bigger house, a bigger yard, a bigger job, uh, nicer clothes. I'm, I'm getting healthy here. I'm going to the gym three times a week, win, running to win this prize. It's not what we're talking about at all. What is this prize? If you look at the passage that we just read before that, in, verses, in verse 22, we see this word winning. And you'll see that over the next few verses five different times. Winning, to win, to win, to win. This prize that Paul is striving for, going after heart, is not some personal goal. It's not some self-help motivational speech. It's I need to win the loss for the gospel. That is the only prize that I am running after. Every athlete works hard. He disciplines his body. He does the things he doesn't want to do so he's a better Olympian, so he's a better fighter, so he's a better gymnast. He does the things he doesn't really feel like doing to win a prize. And what's that prize made out of? Some little piece of metal or some wreath that falls apart on his head after a year. I don't know why you'd wear it for a full year. It'd be weird to walk around everywhere with a wreath on your head. But all these things, and these athletes are disciplined, and they do the things they don't want to do to win a prize that's perishable. I am going with everything, all sacrifice, all discipline, to win somebody whose soul is eternal, and that prize is eternal and will never perish. Paul says, I will sacrifice my rights for that one win. For that one thing. I'll sacrifice anything that I could have done, anything that feels good, because I know there's something way better. There's something way better. This morning, as our worship team comes, I ask, what race are you running after? 
What prize are you trying to win this morning? Are you running a race this morning that wins people? And I say this to myself, please don't feel condemnation or guilt in this. This is a, this is a me question as well. Am I running a race that wins people? Am I running a race that wins the lost? Am I sacrificing my rights, quote unquote, so that I can reach those who are hurting? That's the question I have to ask myself. Secondly, are you, have you become a slave to the gospel? Is the gospel the only thing that really controls your life? Or are there a lot of personal dreams, personal rights that are controlling who you are, what you think of yourself, and how you live your life? There is there's real discipline, there's real hard work that goes into temporary wins. Why would there not be a sacrifice and a discipline in winning an eternal prize? This gospel takes sacrifice. This real trophy, this real place of value is going to take some hard work. And it's going to take you going into some really uncomfortable places in your life. There's going to be risks involved. Just this week, Ashley and I were talking coming back from our hometown, and we were talking about people in our life that are living a good life, but they, they have chosen to not take any risks, and they're sitting on huge giftings, huge, huge giftings for the kingdom of God. And I told her, I don't want to ever be comfortable. I want to always have a dream. I want to always go after it. I want to always take the risks that I need to take in order that he is glorified that the giftings inside of me are stirred up and they're used. I said a quote from a movie that I don't even know what movie it's from. I can't think of it. I said, you have a real gift, my friend. Don't hide it under a bushel. I don't know what that's from. It's from something. Ben might know. I don't know. But I truly believe that. You... In this room, there are giftings, there are stirrings, there are passions that God has placed inside of you. And I'm asking you not to, to hide it for your own personal rights. We live in a culture, we live in a culture where the rights are all over the news. Civil rights, gay rights, police rights, everybody's rights. We all, we all have rights and we're all fighting for our rights. Each one of us go to work every morning. We fight for our rights. Each one of us go into our conversations on a defensive stance with our family members. Like, don't you dare say that to me. Don't you dare belittle me because I have rights. I'm a real person. Look at me. And we're always in this fighting position, aren't we? As a society, as a culture, there's always a new goal to fight for. And I'm not saying those are bad. I'm not at all. I believe that there should be racial equality. I, I believe there should be equality for human life across the board. I get it. I'm, I'm for rights. But what I'm not for is when us fighting for our rights causes the rights of the Lordship of Christ in our life to be quenched. That he has lost his rights as our Lord, as our Savior, as our Master, because we keep fighting for our own rights. Does that make sense? I'm not for that. There are so many of us who are fighting for our personal desires, and we would have much more joy, much more peace that you can't even begin to describe if you would surrender those rights and say, Jesus, I just want to do what you want me to do. 
I'm going to forget about making myself look good. I'm going to forget about protecting what's mine. I'm just going to give it to you. God's grace. This series is called 1 Corinthians, how, God, how grace puts the pieces together. Some of our lives are really a broken mess because we're always fighting for something. We're always trying to defend something. It's either theology or it's personal way of living or it's, or it's income levels. We're always trying to defend our positions. And we would be a lot more whole if we would just surrender our rights to the cross. Jesus, I just trust you. You be my defender. You be my right. I don't want to do this thing because I want to do this thing. I want to do this thing because you've asked me to do that. Right? There's a book. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but one of the books I think we have. No, we are sold out. Anyway, no, it's over there. Um, there's a book that has shaped my life drastically. It's called A Tale of Three Kings. It talks about the story of David. David was anointed to be king while Saul was on the throne. And Saul, through spears, was evil and wanted to kill David. David, by rights, could have went after Saul and killed Saul and taken the throne. But he chose not to touch the Lord's anointed. He said, God, if you want me in that position, you'll put me in that position. Then David's a king, years and years of having a good reign. And his son begins to rise up and say, I could do it better. I could take this throne. And so there's this anarchy in the kingdom. And David's like, I'm, I, didn't, I didn't throw spears to keep my throne. God put me here. Why would, why would I? I didn't throw spears to take the throne. Why would I throw spears to keep the throne? And when you live in that position of God, if you want me here, if you want these rights to be in my life, then good. If not, take them because it's yours anyway. There is such a freedom there. There really is. There is such a freedom when you surrender your rights to him.